Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be examining the scriptures for the second Sunday of Easter, that's Divine Mercy Sunday, April 11th, 2021. Responsorial Psalm tells us, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, His love is everlasting. I often wonder, do we thank God enough for the mercy He has shown us, not only in the big things, but the little as well? Draw hope from the mercy that Jesus showed Thomas when he doubted the testimony of the other apostles regarding the appearance of Jesus to them. Jesus wants to show his mercy to us for all of us missing the mark he has established for us, and we sometimes call that sin. Let us come to him for mercy. Let us believe that he wants to show us mercy. Let us accept the mercy he has shown us. We needn't deserve his mercy. We could never deserve his mercy. He has graciously bestowed it upon us and continues to do so because of his infinite love for us. Uh, in the readings today, the only uh, reading that really talks about mercy is the responsorial psalm. So we're going to take a look at that. We've already talked a little bit about the responsorial psalm. We've read the response. When I read that 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 uh, responsorial psalm, what I see so frequently is that we don't look about what it's really saying. Don't think about it. In in the responsorial psalm, it's mercy endures forever is repeated numerous times in that responsorial psalm. The other scripture that always comes to my mind when I think of this is Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. And I'm going to read from the RSV Second Catholic Edition. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And we tend to forget that frequently, that God is so faithful to us. And uh, we, we don't understand that. Let's go back and look a little bit at that response again. His mercy, and when it says his mercy, give thanks to the Lord, or his mercy endures forever, excuse me. That mercy has said, that's that kindness or uh, the divine love, the perfect love, uh, in the New Testament, it would probably be translated agape. Uh, So we don't have that often when we see, see God, when we love God, when we love others. We don't have that type of love that just continues to give. And it says endures forever. And properly, what that is saying is to the vanishing point. That was this, that That is what the Hebrew mind thought about. Now, we're going to go to the gospel next, and then we'll do the first reading from Acts. And then finally, if we have time, we'll talk about the second reading. So let's look at the gospel. The gospel is from John again. It's from John chapter 20, which we had for Easter Sunday. And we're going to go look at it again. And what we'll notice in the readings is that the word peace comes up numerous times, as well as words for faith and belief and Holy Spirit, and by extension, breath. So we'll, we'll take a look at that. <clears throat> On the evening of the first day of the week. So this is uh, Easter Sunday night when the doors were locked. So here again, as with the uh, rock on the tomb, there's a barrier The apostles have put a barrier up for others not to be able to enter in where they are. And what we'll notice here is with the tomb, when the the stone was removed when Mary Magdalene got there, this is not a barrier for Jesus. And that we so frequently forget that in our lives, there are no barriers for Jesus to us. We put up barriers to keep Jesus away. And they were fear. So, I would be afraid, too, if I'd seen my master crucified and thought that I would probably think that they're going to come after me and crucify me as well. 
says, Jesus came and stood in their midst. And the first thing he said to them is, peace be with you. That's a standard Jewish greeting, shalom. So what what is he talking about there? So, And he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. His disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Now, in John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, peace I bequeath to you, my own peace I give to you, a peace which the world cannot give. This is my gift to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. Now, this was on Thursday night that he said that to the apostles. And of course, a lot of events occurred on Friday and they were hiding on Saturday and here on, and uh, probably all of Sunday. And here he is, he comes in. The first thing he tells him is peace be with you. Now, they, they've probably forgotten this. That the peace that Jesus is talking about is a peace that we can have internal to ourselves, regardless of the circumstances that we're in. And he tells them again, do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. Well, they were troubled and they were afraid. So he's trying to do this uh, to help them. And then in, and also at the Last Supper, in John 15, 11, he says, I have told you all this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So did Jesus have joy on the cross? Well, I would think that perhaps he did, knowing what was going to happen to him. And again, in John 16, 22, at the Last Supper, he said, So it is with you. You are sad now, but I shall see you again, and your hearts will be full of joy. And that joy no one shall take from you. So this joy that they're experiencing is what Jesus told them would happen to them on uh, at the Last Supper. And he's, it took several days for that to happen. Now, it's interesting that, that that's there. And as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Now, there are a couple of scriptures here that that uh, are, uh, in, are to be referenced. And one is John chapter 17, 18, again at the Last Supper, in, in the midst of the high priestly prayer. And he's talking to the Father. And he says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And this, the other scripture uh, that always comes to my mind is John fifteen sixteen, where he says, you did not choose me, no, I chose you, and I commissioned you to go out and to bear fruit. So Jesus, several times in, during the Last Supper, told them that they, were, that they were going to be going out. So he's telling them here again, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And so, so he's saying, you are my disciples. I am the one who's supposed to tell you what to do next. And that is to go out into the world. So, and then we also, you can also look at Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It says go, and in Mark 16, 15 and 16, basically he tells him to go out into the whole world and to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that is the initial commission that's going on here from Jesus. Then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? Receive the Holy Spirit. If we look at uh, what the note in the New Jerusalem Bible says, the breath of Jesus is a symbol of the Spirit. Breath, which is breath in Hebrew, in Hebrew which is that, and, and like noima in Greek means wind, spirit, breath. And so it, he extends, he sends forth the Spirit who will make all things new. And that goes back you, you look at the uh, first uh, verse or two of, of uh, Genesis, and he says, the wind was hovering over the water. The ruach was hovering over the water. And it's there, and you can see it throughout the Old Testament. 
And the other place that you see that is in Genesis 2, 7, when it, after Jesus, after God has created Adam, it says, Yahweh God shaped man from the soil of the ground and blew the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. That is repeated again uh, in Ezekiel 37, 9. And this is in the midst of uh, the, the passage where Ezekiel is told to try, prophesy over the dry bones and they come to life which symbolizes the dead life of the of the people of God. So there it says, He said to me, God said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy to the spirit, prophesy to the wind. Son of man, say to the breath, the Lord Yahweh says this, come from the four winds, breath, breath come to the four, from the four winds breath, breathe on these dead so they may come to life. So again, it's God breathing life into the people who are not alive. And this is what God wants to do for us, all of us. And in here he's, to, he's breathing new life into the apostles. And he says, then he says, gives us something that, that is very important to Catholics, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain, they are retained. Uh, and us, we Catholics believe that this was the institution of the sacrament of penance that God gave the apostles and those to whom he, they gave the power, the power to forgive sins. Now, when you look at this, isn't this right here an immense show of God's mercy for us? God is so merciful to us that he wants to forgive us. He wants to forgive us as much as the father of the prodigal son forgave him when he came back home after doing all the things that he shouldn't have done. But it's saying here also that they're to make a judgment as to whether the person is truly repentant or not. They can forgive the sins, or they can say, you, you're not ready to be forgiven. And in uh, if you've read anything of Padre Pio, you know that there were times when people would come to him and ask, go to confession, and he'd say, come back when you're, when you're sorry. So we need to know that, that that is a possibility. We need to be sorry for our sins, truly sorry for our sins. Now, it's interesting, too, that Thomas was called Didymus, one of the twelve. Now, Thomas is the uh, Hebrew name, Didymus is the Greek name, and both of them mean twin. And it goes on to say, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. So, I don't know whether um, Thomas went out to the equivalent of a 7-Eleven to get something to supply uh, all the people who were in the upper room, or what the story was, for one reason or another, he wasn't there, and he overcame his fear to be able to go out, but he wasn't there. So the other disciples said to him, we have seen the Lord. And that is interesting. They've seen, we've seen him. But he said, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into the side, I will not believe. And it's, it's, it's interesting there to that we know that in our own lives, so many times, people will say, God is working in my life. I have, we've seen God's work in our life, or I've had a vision, or whatever it happens to be. And we say, I'm not going to believe that unless it happens to me. And that is not faith. Faith, Hebrews 11 wants to say, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the realization of things that are not seen. And we need to have faith. He didn't have faith at that time. And we know that a uh, couple of things that are interesting here uh, about the side 
Uh, remember John 19.34 says, One of the soldiers pierced the side with a lance and immediately came out blood and water. Those are symbols of things that happened in the temple uh, during the uh, rites for the forgiveness of sins. And then Jesus in Luke 24.39.40 tells the apostles to see his hands and his feet again. So, Tom... So it says, now, now a week later, the disciples were getting, and Thomas was with them, and the doors were closed. Again, and they were still locked. They are still afraid. They didn't, the peace of, that Jesus was wanting them to have a week ago, they still hadn't achieved. They are still fearful. And he stood in their midst, and he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and bring your hand and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe Jesus did what he needed to do to overcome the doubt in Peter's life. And, and of course, then Peter answers, my Lord and my God. Peter, or pardon me, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Thomas was giving an act of faith. But Jesus says, blessed are those you have come to believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and believe. Well, I haven't seen Jesus' side, and I believe, do you? So, and this is pretty much going back, even Jesus had all sorts of things that he was doing, and we read in John 4, 48, unless you see signs and portents, you will not believe. Yes, there's a saying, seeing is believing, but believing is seeing too. And in 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, he says, you have not seen him, yet you love him, and still without seeing, you believe in him, so you are already filled with joy, so glorious that it cannot be described, and you are sure of the goal of your faith that is the salvation of your souls. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you have to see it to believe it? And I says, Jesus did it. Many other signs in their presence. Let's look at the first reading. The first reading is uh, from Acts. It is Acts chapter 4, 32 to 35. This is, uh, you, you can look back in Acts 2, 42 to 47, you'll see some of the same things being talked about here. And we don't need to read all of that, but you, you, I, I invite you to read that on your own. And in, the, in that Acts 2, 44 to 47, all who shared the faith. And here it says the community of believers. Same thing. The community of believers. These are the ones that, that had not seen and believed, was of one heart and mind. So there was unity uh, among all the believers at this time. And uh, we, we know that that is what Jesus prayed at the, at the, in, in uh, John chapter 17. Father, may they all be one as you and I are one. And no one claimed any of his own possessions as his own. Now, there are some that will say, well, this is uh, talking about communism. It's really not. But it's, they had that, but they had everything in common. They were sharing. And they were doing this not for socialist or communist reasons. They were doing it out of love for each other. And it says, With great power the apostles bore witness to the resurrection of Jesus. We can see that uh, in that passage in Acts again. And, uh, and, and great favor accorded them all. So favor is, is uh, another translation that usually is grace or graciousness. It says, There is no needy... There is no needy... 
person among them. And, and they were living out what Deuteronomy 15, 4 says, There must then be no poor among you, for Yahweh will grant you his blessing in the country which Yahweh your God is giving you to possess as your heritage. This is before they ever entered the promised land. <clears throat> and it says, For those who own property or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sale and put them at the feet of the apostles. Well, there was an exception to this, and the exception, and I invite you to read this, is Acts chapter one verses. Pardon me, Acts chapter five verses one through eleven. This is a story of Ananias and Sapphira. Now, in that story, we're not going to read the whole thing, but in that story, they had sold property, and they brought some of the proceeds to the apostles, but not all of it. And in the story, uh, first, uh, Ananias is is confronted by Peter, and I says, how can Satan have so possessed you that you should lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back, back part of the price of the land? Peter had asked him, Did you, is this everything that you got out of the land? And Ananias said, yes. So they were, they were hedging their bets. They were, they, were, uh, they were giving some to the church and some they kept for themselves just in case things didn't work out or that they could still live the life that they wanted to live. And Peter goes on and says, while you still own the land, it wasn't yours to keep. And after you had sold it, it wasn't the money, it wasn't the money yours to do with, pardon me, wasn't the money yours to do with as you like. So he, he, he lied. Peter is saying it wasn't so much that Ananias and Sapphira had decided to keep part of the money. It's that they lied that there was a problem. And what you, what you see later down in the passage is that Ananias was struck, was died on the spot, and who knows what it was. It's it's there, and Sapphira came in later, and she was confronted as well, and she died as well. So what are you willing to do? Are you willing to do what God wants you to do uh, in all things that you're doing, or are you wanting, are, are you wanting to hedge your bets? Do you, are you not all in for God, or are you only partially in for God? You know, Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and following, if anyone wants to be a disciple of mine, a follower of mine, let him deny himself every day, or renounce himself every day, and take up his cross and follow me. He goes on to say, anyone who wants to lose, save his life will lose it, and anyone who wants, who's, loses his life will save it. What What is it that you gain, if you gain the whole world and lose your immortal soul, and I'm paraphrasing that scripture, so uh, forgive me if you don't, if you look it up and it doesn't say exactly the same thing. Are you sold out? Are you willing to risk everything for what God is calling you to do? Are you willing to risk everything that you have? Now, I'm not saying that you need to go off and sell all that you have and give it to the church or to uh, a charitable organization. Don't misunderstand me. I'm saying, do you make yourself totally available to God? And if you do that, then you, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to be willing to hear what it is that God wants you to do. Because you can give everything you have to, away, but if you're doing it because you want to do it, then that's not right. If God has given you great wealth, maybe he wants you and abilities, he probably wants you to share those with other people that you are the one who is to help make it possible for others to be able to receive what God has for them. 
God has given you the wealth and the abilities to spread the gospel. And it, there's nothing wrong with making money. What's wrong with, with making money is that that's your, your God, if you're tied to the wealth. Let's look at the uh, second reading, which is 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. Notice the Gospels from John. The second reading is from John. And uh, it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is begotten by God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is begotten by God. And everyone who loves the Father also uh, loves also the one begotten by him. Now, the, the note in the Jerusalem, New Jerusalem Bible, or the Jerusalem Bible both, says, this is, this is a big theme with John. And so in that note, A, it says, whoever loves God also loves his children. The love of God is expressed in love of neighbor, the criterion of its sincerity. And it gives several uh, verses in 1 John. And the first com- uh, of the commandments to which one is committed by God, by the love of God, and then he gives some other uh, references throughout Scripture, particularly the New Testament. Finally, it is faith which judges love, the faith by which the person is born of God. You know, also in 1 John, I believe it's in chapter 4, it says, how, how can you love God whom you cannot see if you don't love your brother and sister whom you do see? So this is the judgment that's going here. So it's not only love of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but also the love of those people that you can see. Jesus himself said this several times. This is the first and the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole soul, and your whole mind. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. John goes on to say here, in this way, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Now, what was Jesus's commandment at the Last Supper? It says in John chapter 15, 12, this is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. To love others as God, Jesus has loved us, is to lay down our lives for them. So we are to show mercy. God shows mercy to us. We're supposed to show mercy to others. The love of God is this, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Oh, really? His commandments are not burdensome? Well, I don't know about that. Well... The uh, where I where I get this from, where I see this in Matthew eleven thirty, you know, he talks about all in twenty eight. He talks about all you who are uh, heavy burden, come to me, and he finishes up. And says he talks about bearing his yoke, and then he, in the very end, in eleven thirty, says, "Yes, my yoke is easy and my burden is light." So the yoke. And the burden that Jesus places upon us, the obedience to his commandments, are are what we are called to do. And he's saying they're not burdensome. How can I believe that? The love of God is this that we keep... Is this... uh, I'm sorry, I've lost my place. The love of God is that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever is begotten of God conquers the world. Oh, Really? What is it that, uh, that uh, we're told, resist the devil and he shall flee with you, flee from you. And the victory that conquers the world is this, our faith. Again, faith is what conquers the world. It's not our strength or whatever. 
Our strength comes from God. And whoever, who indeed is the victor over the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son. Wow. Without faith, it's impossible, we're told in the, in the Gospels. Without faith, it's impossible. We're told when Mary uh, said, how can this be? I, I, you know, how can, how can I become the mother of God? Because I, I don't have, I, I, I've not done the things necessary to do that. It says, with God, all things are possible. There's another place where it talks about the camel going through the eye of the needle and the apostles say, how can this be? Well, how can a camel go through the eye of a needle? And Jesus said, and, or, and, and again, it's possible. And he talked about divorce. How can a man live with what you're talking about, that you're not supposed to divorce your wife? And he says, with men, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Do you believe that? This, so do you believe it? Do you believe that all things are possible with God? Are you willing to rely upon God for what you need? I, I don't know whether I am fully that way. Well, I know I'm not fully that way. I don't know that whether you are or not, and it's a question you need to answer for yourselves. And then finally it says, this is the one who came through water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water alone, but water and blood. And again, it's referring back to that passage in John 19, 34, where his side was pierced and the water and the blood came. Jesus, that piercing of the side shows that Jesus gave everything. There's no blood left. The serum that's there is, is, is gone. Jesus gave everything for us. And that is our salvation. And then finally it says, the spirit is the one that testifies and the spirit is truth. And that word truth, it's something that you can depend upon. In, in Hebrew, it'd probably uh, uh, be amen. So be, we'd say amen to this. And amen means so be it. It's so. It's a truth I can depend upon. Do we depend upon the truth that God is with us? I hope that that you have a great week this week. And I ask you to reflect on these, these scripture readings and see what, the, what God is speaking to you through them, not just to the church. What is God speaking to you to, through them? And I hopefully, in, in response, you will rejoice in God's mercy toward you and toward your, all those in your life. The two scriptures that I, uh, the scripture that I always refer to when it, I'm talked about, called to believe, is from the, the man who, whose epileptic son was healed in Mark chapter 9. He says, Lord, I do have faith. Help the little faith I have. For Divine Mercy Sunday, we will be saying, Jesus, I trust in you. When I say that, I have to say, Jesus, I trust in you. Help my lack of trust. May God bless you, and you have a wonderful week.